emotions are encouraging us to do something that's uncomfortable to get us out of our habitual groove. So even the nature of sitting with that discomfort, not repressing it, not um, expressing it prematurely, but developing um, intimacy with those emotions helps us develop intimacy with ourselves, And that can be uncomfortable at times. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. I'm sitting here again with Bhavani Maki of the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, and I'm thrilled to be here with you. Great to see you again, Shanae. Thank you. Excellent. Let's talk about emotions today. (laughs) Big emotions on the path of yoga. So I've heard you say many times that it's very harmful to ourselves when we repress or suppress emotions because they become lodged in the body. And I know this to be true in my own experience. I know there are people who have the tendency to suppress strong emotions. And then there are those of us who have the habit or pattern to express big emotions. So my question for you is how might one learn to express strong emotions in a healthy way? Yeah, you know, this is really the challenge with yoga isn't it? It's like we have our ideals and um, it tends to be 
pristine and pretty. And, you know, as long as we have clear intention, you know, we're not going to have to deal with this, the, the rocky stuff that's within. So really that's the aspect of tapas and tapas means to burn. And so these are the, it's the burning desire within us. And then there's this sense of austerity as well. I, um, and austerity means like, how can we whittle things away to get down to the core message? And of course, emotions present physio- as physiological changes. So we have to learn how to, dis- to decipher the emotions and they present when there's an unmet need. So it's really, you know, kind of feeding off of last week, they're uncomfortable a lot of the times and being able to sit with that discomfort um, and to navigate so that we're not bypassing the emotion. And yet at the same time, we're not flooded with those neurochemicals. So a mantra that I've kind of adopted for myself is um, if I really feel like I have to act in the moment. Now, this is, of course, not in a critical situation or, or an emergency situation where time is of the essence. But if something is really, really pressurized within me and it feels like it's erupting, it's probably not the time to um, process with somebody. So you've heard me cite Plechnik before, and he was a professor of psychology, and he was able to break things down to eight basic emotions. And it doesn't matter what species you are, we all have them. And the, the essence of these emotions is that they evolve us. So the emotions are, you know, they're they're complicated, even though there's only eight essential ones, they like the vritti, they can exist simultaneously. And then we add our thoughts and our narrative and our story to them and they become affects or attitudes. And then when it's consistent, when it presents consistent, that's called our personality. So, um, you know, there's, we might start to explore like what was the underlying mood or ethos in our family of origin or in our culture and our society? And, you know, when we can see, all right, the there was a sense of um, comfort or a sense of unrest in the in the childhood home. There was a sense of being on eggshells or a sense of um taboos and ignoring the elephant in the room kind of a thing. So to look at that and even appreciate them as like neurochemical cocktails, because every emotion we feel presents biochemically. So it almost becomes part of our genetic makeup. And we want to begin to explore that. And this isn't in any way to again bypass the very life affirming vitalizing aspect of emotions which are causing us to reach out of stasis right you know it's like 
tapas means that we have this burning desire for authenticity. Um, that we want to burn some new neuropathways and open new pathways in our life. We feel like we're getting stuck somewhere. That can be very frustrating. Excuse me. <clears throat> and, you know, how we can do this, it's all in the first sutra and the second pada. Tapasvadhyaya Ishvara Pranidana Kriya Yogaha. Kriya yoga means purification and it means taking action. So the emotions are there for us to get into motion and see where something's missing. And Ishvara Pranidhana is like um, to, to be a part of creation. And sometimes it's translated as um, moving deeply into the core of one's own being and heart. So there's a lot of vitality and a lot of juice that's available to us. However, when the emotion is peaking or we're kind of stuck in the emotion, we're not able to find um, a place of homeostasis, a lot of times it's gonna come out in its raw and crude form and of course, when we're moving from the um, limbic system, which is the, it's the part of us that responds emotionally. It's the part of us that bonds. It's also the part of us that um, pushes away, you know, that's reactionary and that lives in fight and flight. We're not going to make clear decisions. And it's likely that we're just going to be kind of repeating the cycle again. So of course that's called the wheel of karma. So how do we, how do we leverage the wheel of karma in order to find Dharma? That which is, um, you know, addressing our deepest longing, which makes us face our challenges and then is really our unique gift that supports others as well as ourselves. So being able to sit with the emotion and what I found to be really helpful is where do I feel it in my body? What does it feel like in my body? And instead of going into the story, just really appreciating that, and sitting with it, and then I can kind of level out. And I love what John Kabat-Zinn says. It's like, okay, am I, I'm feeling frustrated. We put a name on it, and then we can ask ourselves, do I feel frustrated with frustration? <laughs> I'm annoyed. Am I feeling annoyed with annoyance? I'm afraid. Am I afraid of fear? And in this all, it's all good culture to not bypass those emotions, but see how they're held in our body to see, um, you know, is this part of my baseline? Have I become, okay, the worst would be to be flat, which is dissociative where you're feeling nothing and you're numb. But have I also just become kind of like one dimensional? where I'm either angry or I'm afraid. Um, you know, I'm either ecstatic or I'm depressed. So we started kind of like 
look at our range that we have. And I think it's so powerful that in um, Hinduism, each emotion, um, and more than emotion, but kind of attitude or quality has, <clears throat> has divinity behind it. You know, you have like all the forms of Shiva and there's Shiva the ter- terrible and sh- Shiva the the fearsome and you know there's there's just all these different aspects so to really appreciate them as being valuable and a lot of it is really soul searching you know it is uncomfortable and as we all know there is pain on the path to freedom and evolution it, it takes effort to break out of that stuff but really also, you know, to see, like, is the emotion productive? Like, is it getting you out of inertia? And to also observe it's, if it's a way that you just keep micro-injuring yourself. So I've spoken before about how the soul has purpose and the parts of self have agenda. And when we when we realize that the emotion has purpose and we move from that soul space of wanting to create more meaningful connections and to have a capacity for intimacy, we can kind of hold that part of ourselves and we can speak to that part of ourselves. Otherwise, we're moving from the um, kind of like the dross, the raw stuff of that emotion. And we're moving from the limbic system and the brainstem, the reptilian brain, which doesn't evolve. And we're, we're sympathetic creatures. So we're likely to trigger that in somebody else. So there's a lot of self-examination re-evaluation of what's important in our lives and certainly you know there's the ideas of what success looks like there's our our own desires and needs which are going to evolve and change and um you know so it's it's nothing to be avoided it's a very potent and powerful time but also you know, can you make peace with those emotions, even when they're uncomfortable and use them as feedback? Um, <clears throat> they, they need deciphering, they need translation. And so, of course, this is what we're developing through a functional yoga practice is to be able to create an intention and have transmission through our bodies and then to take time to feel, to develop a a vocabulary. And I'm not talking about a verbal vocabulary necessarily for the emotions, but um, uh, an expanded capacity for interpretation and navigation and subtlety. So it's very clear in the sutras, it's about having compassion for ourselves. And that we are evolving beings and we're complex beings and how we can get out of the rut of the inertia. 
So we do evolve through our emotions. And I'll just list these from Plechnik. Again, these are the eight basic ones and you can look him up. P-L-U-T-N, Plut, I-C-H, but niche. Okay. So the basic ones are anger, fear, sadness, disgust, surprise, joy, trust, and anticipation. And I found it so interesting that regardless of the complexity of the organism, you know, you could just be a single cell amoeba, you're going to have these experiences and they're what keep us adaptable and evolving. So yeah, you know, this is where also psychotherapy is so valuable because we can just start to look at, um, <clears throat> you know, what is what is the, the narrative underneath? Um, am I moving from a pure desire to experience and express myself with greater dynamicism? Or am I moving from this, um, this conditioning that I'm not enough and that to be content is a form of passivity because we're such a career-oriented kind of a culture and our sense of value is so based on our economics and our, um, you know, our prowess as far as our notoriety and followers, et cetera. So there is a lot of complexity there, but I would say, <clears throat> you know, being able to Sit with the emotion, to feel it in your body. There's usually a peak and then it'll begin to subside. It's really helpful to put a name on it. Patanjali calls it Viveka Kyati. And as soon, there's a very interesting response that happens neurologically. As soon as you're able to put a name to the emotion, the amygdala, which tends to be um, where we hold trauma, and it's where we go into that reactivity. And the interesting thing about trauma is that we get kind of stuck in a moment <clears throat> where we weren't able to respond or give ourselves what we need. And anything brushes up against it and it takes us, we, we regress to that moment. So when we work with... Um, you know, when you put a name on it, the amygdala, amygdala actually relaxes. And then neurological information is able to go to the hippocampus, which goes, okay, well, I've had experiences like this before, but this isn't the same. And let me look at what I did. It's like the memory track. What did I do before? Was that helpful? Let me see if I can try to do something a little bit different. And it also goes into the neocortical brain, which accesses the logical aspect. Like, it's, is this rational or am I um, being triggered for stuff that I haven't completely metabolized? So putting a name on it kind of gives you a perspective. Otherwise, you become the emotion. <clears throat> 
So we lose power at this point in our conversation, which is really too bad because Bhavani was on a roll. However, we pick right back up, hopefully around where we left off. So isn't that funny that we just had a short circuit? (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's the bottom line, you know, is watching when, when the, 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 the switch flips. And if we can sit in those moments instead of going into reactionary behavior, because when we're in that reactionary state, um, the, the essence of what is trying to be communicated will come out really jagged, a lot of jagged edges. And if we repress it, right, it's going to injure us on the inside. Um, if we're explosive, not only is it going to injure us, but it's going to injure others. And so really, you know, can we get down to that core truth that all of the emotions are here to help us to come into healing and wholeness? So being able to sit with it. And for those people who tend to be more introverted, (laughs) you know, that the inertia is where they just maybe over process internally. And then for those who tend to process everything on the outside and maybe process it to death, um, being able to sit with it on internally and make peace with that emotion. So then you can have intelligent discussions and conversations that are more about inquiry. Otherwise, what happens is we tend to have a split within us. And we'll make things right or wrong. And it's never that simple. You know, it's never that simple. There's not a clear answer. If there was, we would just be managing it in the moment. So there is sitting with that discomfort and and doing that, um, that work of and it can be very difficult, right? To like, how, how can I, I can't feel my wholeness in this moment and I'm sitting with this difficult issue and I want to have the answer right now. So we can see as tapas is being like cooking in it and getting, um, you know, this is so beautifully expressed in the sutras. It's like, there's the hard outer shell. How can we get to the kernel of nourishment on the inside? is a process of ripening. But we definitely want to notice, you know, like, do I tend to recycle these emotions a lot? And we can become addicted to certain states. Um, Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't advocate enough for going into a therapeutic process because we don't see what we don't see. And sometimes even, you know, we'll feel like, oh, I shouldn't be having these emotions and that creates further barriers. So having a, a, a counselor who's really skilled at helping you to navigate and get to the core issues and also to develop the skills so that you can come to a place of homeostasis. Patanjali says, as long as you're meditating on the problem, <laughs> You're never going to find this solution. And I believe Albert Einstein said the same thing. So if we can take a moment and know like, okay, I've got pressing issues. I've got things I got to examine within myself. 
can I make peace with myself? And can I find, you know, the, the precursor to peace is seeing where there's unrest. And instead of trying to tackle these very complex issues, find peace in our organism, then insights are going to appear. Um, well, there'll, there'll be a deep kind of a knowing. It's really the most challenging part of the practice. And, you know, asanas will give us the skills as far as working with our personal energy field and our physiology. And then sutras help us to explore, um, you know, the states of mind, the states of emotion, the nature of karma, of repetitive behaviors. And then psychotherapy will help us to explore the more personal aspects of it. So we need, we need this trifecta in order to explore that. But yeah, I mean, basically, you know, emotions are encouraging us to do something that's uncomfortable, to get us out of our habitual groove. <clears throat> so even the nature of sitting with that discomfort, not repressing it, not um, expressing it prematurely, but developing um, intimacy with those emotions helps us develop intimacy with ourself. And that can be uncomfortable at times. So tapas is like, <clears throat> when we don't allow the pressure to just go down the, the well-worn groove, other things start to percolate to the surface as well as new pathways opening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's what? not easy. No, and I'm reminded of the, the fourth sutra in the first chapter, vritti sarupyam itaratra, like not offloading it onto others. Because I think, you know, for a long time, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm keeping it all to myself. I'm managing it. When in fact I wasn't like, I was like trying to sit with the emotion, but I was totally leaking it out into the space. <laughs> and like, it was just exuding onto everybody. Cause I, I couldn't manage. I didn't know how to, how to like, just, you know, be with it without, kind of putting it on to others, like, okay, help me hold this. This is too big. Yeah. And there's even, um, you know, in the IFS system, they even speak about the inner manager. And so we, we need that inner manager, but then we can also come to a place where the manager takes the helm and we're so busy managing that we're not experiencing ourselves as the living spirit. So, you know, there's beauty in these emotions. They're not comfortable. Um, and this is where, you know, yoga and the second sutra is nirota is often described as control. And we have to see where the sutra is going to meet us where we're at. So control maybe be, now I'm having this insight, where we have control issues. Then it becomes, nirodha becomes self-regulation. Okay, something isn't sitting right. And, you know, I don't want to 
I don't want to be the troublemaker and yet I don't want to passively support this. So, um, you know, how can I find homeostasis in my system so that I can begin to explore possibilities, see what hasn't worked in the past, explore, okay, what's right about this situation? What is emotions? They're a way that our system is telling us that there's a need that isn't being met. Okay. So of course we have to then navigate, is this a need that's been projected to me onto me as far as my value and my worth and what I should be doing? Or is this a true need from within myself? So Niroda becomes self-regulation, then it becomes self-inquiry. And then Patanjali is very clear. He says, Viveka Kyati, your ability to kind of cut away the veils of what's obfuscating, you know, this, this pure impulse to see it as a pure impulse is the discernment between buddhi and purusha. And buddhi is that inner manager. And if we're managing everything, are we really living, right? I mean, it's an important skill to have, but we can get stuck there. And that really becomes the personification of the super spiritual ego. You know, spirituality is messy. Um, it's it's complicated, you know, that's 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 the nature of it. It's not clean and pristine. And so Patanjali says, where the buddhi is the conscience, it's also the receptacle of all our sorrows. So that's where we're moving from the wound. Um, And there's this wonderful, and I'm going to underscore the word wonderful, tension between being and becoming. So what is our being? It's creative. It's curious. It's connected. And a key word here is compassion. So having compassion for ourselves um, and then having compassion for others, that this is the human nature, that we're evolving into beingness, we're becoming more ourselves. And then when we can see, all right, now I'm stuck in my booty, what's even this sense of what's the higher mind or the lower mind or the right way or the wrong way? We're, we're, we're still measuring and comparing, which brings us pain when we value ourselves according to that. And Purusha is Nirodha in its highest expression as being filled with light. And so we can see light as energy and as information. So you know, my environment, maybe I'm totally happy. Maybe I feel really like I'm in a good groove and then life changes and throttles me. Um, You know, very real is economics, Um, you know, places to live. What kind of work am I going to do? Where is there a need? How can I, how can I do something that is really valuable in the world that doesn't, that feeds my soul as well, right? So. Purusha is that sense of to be filled with light where there's the dawning, that there's a new horizon, that there's a new possibility that I haven't imagined. So I would, I, 
I guess what it comes down to is being able to hold space for yourself. And that love is what neutralizes the measuring and the comparing of duality. So can we hold all of those emotions in love? What I learned to do, you know, through my pedantic studies of child rearing, because you have a kid and you don't know what the heck you're doing and you might read a book uh, or two. And it, it's it's not that there's clear answers, but it gives you um, pathways that you haven't explored. So with my son, Nicola, is seeing when he's angry, instead of trying to fix it, acknowledging that behavior you know, or acknowledging that emotion, I get, I get the sense you're really angry right now. You're really frustrated. And as soon as I say that, it's like there's a validation of that emotion instead of just trying to get through it and over it because it's uncomfortable. And I can see his whole body relax. And then I can say to him, you know, what do you need right now? Can I give you a hug? No, I want to be left alone. Okay, I'm going to leave you alone. Or yes, I need a hug. So being able to give ourselves what we need in that moment, which is the validation of the, of, of the emotion, the acceptance of it, the honoring of it, being able to hold it in love, there's a relaxation in the system and then new pathways open and new, new horizon opens. But we really, um, it's like we should feel a certain way or we should have it a certain way. And some people are really, um, really like fixated on the emotional states as far as like, um, you know, it, it's part of the healing processes and it can be generational where, you know, people are deeply offended or they're protesting and they're kind of working through the ancestral um, encumberment in this generation, but it also can become very much a part of the identity. So Patanjali, going back to that fourth sutra, it's like, unless we're able to really um, hold space for the emotion, we become the emotion and then it defines us rather than using the emotion as information to have greater acceptance, greater compassion and humility and humanity and see what isn't working and to try something different. Yeah, so for those who are really emotive, it's good to just maybe pull yourself to the side and learn to sit with it and go go in yourself and develop that self-compassion because a lot of times we might be like, but I need this and I need that. And the sense of desperation can actually um, occlude what, we, what somebody is offering to us in the moment. Mm. Yeah. What what else does Patanjali have to say about emotions? He says that um you know, he doesn't specifically speak about emotions, but he speaks about the kleshas which are um more attitudes. You know, he says the most um 
he gives five kleshas, and some say the thickest veil is actually abhinivesha, and that's the triggering of the fear mechanism. And so fear has a value. I mean, it's one of the basic things, and it helps us, you know, to navigate what is unsafe, but a lot of times we might get stuck there. And so we become very protective and guarded, and we may even become callous and shut down. So he says, even the wisest of sages has this encoded in their nervous system. So can we use it appropriately? And can we also see sometimes fear arises when there's something we don't want to look at or when there's a truth staring us in the face? And sometimes it compels us to take the risk of letting go of what is familiar. And even when we know when change is for the better, there's an inherent impulse to cling to the dysfunction just because of our intimacy with the dis. At least we know the suffering that it's like the known suffering versus the unknown suffering. Um, and then the thinnest veil is avidya, which is identifying with something that is transigent or fleeting or something that is seeing something that is pure as being impure or something that is impure as being pure. So as soon as we start measuring and looking at things and qualifying it as good or bad um, is where we get into trouble. Maybe what we can begin to explore is, is this productive? Or is this unproductive? Like, how can I take this raw emotion in a way that it's going to evolve me? So, um, you know, those, then he, he gives the states of the kleshas, prasupta being the most toxic toxic because it's repressed. And you, you touched upon that. And that's where we close off and we harden. We become very controlling. Um, we micromanage, we're afraid of losing control. Then we have the Udara, which is the full eruption. And, it, you know, but then again, we can get stuck there in which we're constantly injuring ourselves and others. There's the Vichina, which if we're really paying attention, we're going to see our emotions can change a lot throughout the day. But we might be you know, are we, are they changing or are we getting stuck somewhere? And then Tanu, excuse me. You know, Tanu is where we're able to kind of like see, well, where is the common thread? What is the common theme that keeps coming up in my life? And do I have an issue with that common theme? Or maybe I can embrace it and see that this is like, this is part of my mission. It's like, yeah, I, I want to break down barriers. I want to go deeper or I'm afraid of going deeper and I want to stay in homeostasis. And instead of seeing what's wrong about it, seeing what's right about it. And then it said that the Jivana Mukta is somebody, oh, this is so great. I believe it's in the Puranas where it says the only difference between a demon and an angel is that demons are not able to navigate their emotions, right? 
So really there's value in them and how can we extract the nectar? And that's really the purport of the yoga sutras is, is that process and the process of inquiry. And of course, we just want it to be a clean and clear, simple answer. And it might be in a moment, but that doesn't mean that that is going to be relevant in another point in our life. Yeah. The self-compassion is really important. I remember meditating um, once in an all-night ceremony in Greece, and I was just sitting there and watching my emotions and watching my mind and just being like, oh, I don't want to go there and I don't want to do that. Can I just be in peace? And there was this moment of revelation that if I'm a conscious being, I am the embodiment of consciousness. I'm going to experience the full range of emotions and thoughts and imprints. And this is part of my um, diversity and that I have a full vocabulary of being. So as soon as we're trying to push it away is when it gets hooked onto us. So can I just um, embrace it, watch it, be with it, Patanjali says, Vishakavajatishmati. And this is where we realize that there's a, par- a place within the innermost core of our heart that is sparkling and that is untouched by sorrow. And the ultimate miracle at the core of it all is that we're sentient beings and we're feeling beings. It's a It's a miraculous thing. So it's kind of, It's a compassion for our humanity and also recognizing the divinity behind it. Yeah. But I've had to learn to pull back. And in my most intimate relationships, pull back, sit with the emotion so I'm not reactive, and then come forward with like the project of healing and health and wholeness. And in other situations, I've had to see my tendency to pull back and manage and explore what I can do on my own and then learn to navigate like, is it worth sharing this with this other person? Are they willing to go there with me? Or do I just need to have acceptance for where they're at and see that like, okay, we're no longer resonating with each other. And it's never, it's never simple. It's never simple. But I think, you know, when we we look at the overview of ourselves and we can always reflect back, like what was the underlying mood in my family? Um, and where I think I'm doing things differently, am I doing it the same? Yeah, thank you for that. And I love this word, compassion. Um, that you keep using and compassion for ourselves. And I just want to remind the listeners that compassion means to suffer with. So Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche talked about idiot compassion, and that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) But I feel that you're talking about this ability to actually sit with and, and have passion, you know, sit with the suffering of our own being 
and not need to like fix it too fast. Yeah. You know, and, and can I, you know, intimacy means that you can hold space, loving space for all these different aspects. You know, it's like, um, you know, there's the honeymoon period in any relationship. And then as you've been in a long-term relationship, you realize that you see the shadow side of the other person. So it's um, in those intimate relationships, it's really easy to split off parts of yourself and project them onto the other. And, and you know, having been in a 30-year relationship, it's interesting to see how sometimes those roles will shift. So... Yeah, you know, the compassion aspect and the patience and, you know, there's, what was it that Rilke said? It's like, these these questions are so pressing because it's your life journey, but it takes you your whole life to live your way into the answer. Yeah. And depression, you know, depression is a natural thing that people go through. You know, Patanjali even says you will get distracted, you will get frustrated. Um, you, you will get depressed because what you were doing no longer works anymore. And sometimes you don't know even what you're growing into. And there's just kind of this space of collapse. But can you have the optimism to know that this is a this is an important part of the undoing before there can be a rebuilding um, from the inside out? Yeah, yeah, that undoing piece and and the piece about not knowing where we're going. <laughs> And I believe this is where, you know, the aspect, like, do you really need a teacher in yoga? No, I mean, I guess you don't, but, but there's aspects that are supported by having an elder, you know, you sit with an elder and you start to ask questions about what they've been through in life and nobody's had it easy. I mean, even the Buddha before his, um, you know, ascension into enlightenment, he was being tested in the last moments by Mara. Same thing with the Christ. You know, we are going to feel like we're on the cross. Nobody said it's going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I wonder um, if we should just end end it there for today <laughs> or if you want to keep going <laughs> yeah. I'm fine with it if you feel like this is this is a good amount yeah but yeah. having you know just having this skill to hold space for yourself um realizing that when you're in it you're probably not going to find the solution and to make peace with, okay, this is a growing pain. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm really looking for deeper intimacy. I want to experience my own authenticity. And nobody's really mapped it out 
for me, I got to figure that out. So it's, it is that journey of being in the dark forest, but also to realize that you're not the first. Um, everybody's had to kind of like forge their own way. Um, and this is the great adventure. Nobody wants to read a story in which everything came easily. You know, this, this is what, this is kind of like the, the, the evolutionary pressure of the potty nama, which is evolving us. Yeah. Maybe you could speak just a little bit more about, um, you know, this, this piece of, of having a teacher asking our elders and we also, you know, have to go through it on our own. So there's almost like no amount of me hearing, you know, the way it's going to be from someone else or like hearing about the ways to avoid pitfalls. It's like, I have to do it my on my own. And <laughs> I also know that I, I need to hear the stories. I need to hear how other people have done it, even though I'm not going to do it the same way. Yeah, you know, this is um, where the sutra have been so helpful for me. And then having a teacher like Rama, who spent many decades invested in the metaphysical practices, doing them physically, the metaphysical exploration, you know, just being in life, being in marriage, um, that they validate, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, how did you get to that place? And I remember her saying, Bhavani, you know, I'm like 70 years old. It wasn't easy. And it just takes time. You have to be patient with yourself. So that can be really helpful. Um, and there's a real healthy dose of realism behind it, you know, where they, they just acknowledge the humanity and then offering other possibilities, you know, like, like I find the, the sutras to be so profound. The ones we just went over at the end of the, the Samadhi Pada, which is, you know, you don't, they're, they're just so powerful. Um, in the very end of the chapter, it says, you know, about letting go of that inner manager. That's a big piece, you know, so many metaphysical practices, they speak about the witness, you know, being able to develop the witnessing mind. Yeah, that's a skill, but you can get stuck there. Can you let that go? And then going into a place of spontaneous joy, joy feels like a really um, sugar-coated word, but the joy, joy isn't scissor kicks and pirouettes across the room. But it's it's like the full-bodied, full-blooded, full-hearted experience. And you look at children and they emote fully in the moment and then they let it go, right? Now, as we talked about, that may not be appropriate for an adult to have a tantrum, which some do, you know, or go into depression. But realizing that like if we allow these emotions to move through us. We, we sit with the physiological discomfort. There's going to be, that's going to oscillate out of our system. It's not going to get stuck in us. And we can, it'll, it'll, it'll like force new pathways within us. 
So being with somebody who's really cooked in the process, they have, they have that expanded nervous system and capacity. And also the experience to see like, you know, this was something I thought I wasn't going to get through. And yet it really brought me to a new horizon in myself. And yeah, you're going to go through this. And yeah, you're going to get through it. So there's a sense of like, okay, yeah, it's difficult, but you can do this. And there's transmission that occurs. You know, it's very interesting. Um, on Kauai, one of Ida Rolf's oldest students had a school here and he passed, but it's really become a nexus of kind of a Rolfing community. And now they're starting to bring in some of Ida's senior students. And so this, this gentleman who's maybe in his later 70s, he's coming and there's so many Rolfers on the island and only five signed up for this workshop. And I just felt very sad because I know that simply by sitting in the presence of that kind of a being, there's a transmission that happens beyond the methodology. Just watching the way that they move, that they comport themselves, the space that they hold is such a potent teaching for people to be in that kind of a field. And this is where students may say, oh, I understand the methodology and I'm figuring out my own way. There's, they're missing out on this transmission. And also those teachers deserve that respect and the sense of relationship and continuity. It's like they're making the effort to come out here. So really seeing the symbiotic relationship that happens there. Um, so, so much of, you know, what's been powerful for me with my teachers is watching how my teachers interact with each individual. Their ability to see the individual, to work with that individual in a really skilled and customized way. Um, it's not something that can even be written into a book. So, we watch them in relationship. We watch how they move within the gravitational field. And there's a transmission that happens that's on a pranic level that is even nonverbal. So there's a lot of value there that we may not even really be able to perceive in the moment, but there, that tradition is important. And it's something we're kind of don't have so much, at least in the American culture where we have generations living together. You know, even astrologically, Chiron, the wounded healer, who is Chiron was also the teacher of Socrates, um, skips generationally. So often the grandparents have more of a resonance with their grandchildren than parents do with their children. So that intergenerational transmission that happens is what keeps the evolutionary process going. And even the memory field, as 
people get older, I was talking about this with a psychologist the other day, you know, with Alzheimer's, a lot of the old timers kind of get stuck in an old narrative or an old story. There may be, now this, this is where the memory field has been affected, but we were looking at the value behind it. So they kind of get stuck in these memories, but in some ways, it's a way that keeps that historical memory intact to transmit to the next generation. So there's a lot of value. Otherwise, we're just going to be recycling without there actually being any kind of a, a growth spiral in the process. Did I communicate that effectively? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to have to invent the wheel all over again. And, and we need to live our own experiences for sure. But there's, there's that really important need to not have to like start all over at the beginning. And that's the importance for me. I mean, I've known it my whole life. I've always had elders in my life and I, I have taken that for granted. Um, up until probably five minutes ago, <laughs> but it's, it's like, <laughs> you know, I, re I really do. I see that the value in that, in keeping good company with, with people of, of the next um, generation, the real next generation, not just, you know, I think we have like decades now instead of generations, but. You know, one thing else that came to heart is this sutra, This is where Patanjali says, you know, for an awakened being, they learn to live with a sense of missingness. And this was such a balm for my soul. Because, you know, as a mystic, you're always searching for wholeness and you're always looking for the healing. So that's an impulse. And then it's not so much about the searching, it evolves into the seeking. So, yeah, there's always going to be a feeling that there's something missing. And can you be okay with it without being passive? But seeing this is like, okay, this is the fire that's going to help me to alchemize my experience and to experience what already is in its fullness, even though there's pieces that are missing, I know that they're there. And I remember hearing, I had a friend, I want to go there. I don't know if you've been there, Chidambaram. Have you been to Chidambaram? No, I've heard of it though. Yeah, so this is the temple where um, Lord Shiva, he comes down to see Patanjali in his incarnated form. And he's with Uma, his consort, and Nandi, his bull. And he says, meet me on this night at Chidambara Temple. And so Patanjali goes there and it, Shiva is giving a concert and he's dancing Ananda Tandava. And Ananda, of course, means the endlessness, and it means bliss, in which there's bliss, according to the dictionary, means there's a death of the ego as we know it. So we have these ideas of what it should be like, right? And so he's preparing for the dance, and he's wrapping elephant hides around his waist, and 
tying them with cobras and he's got he's bedecked with jeweled cobras and he ties his jata up and the moon is in his in his dreadlocks and the river ganga is pouring through his hair and then the orchestra are all of these gods and goddesses you know um Vishnu is like playing the Mirdanga and Saraswati has her veena and Krishna's playing the flute. And, you know, there's this incredible dance. And while Shiva's dancing Tandava, you can see these mandalas of energy and how um, matter are these layers of energy that seem to have become configurated into a certain form, but they become thinner and thinner. And you can see the flux of nature behind it. So why did I tell this story? Oh yeah, so I have a friend who went to Chindambara and there's the masculine temple and the female temple. And in the um in the masculine, the Shiva temple, there's uh an altar that is completely black and empty. And the missingness of it is the space that is held and implied for the counterpart. So in the masculine temple, the, the space for the female is just this black, dark room that's empty. But the fact that she isn't there implies her presence. And then the converse is true for the other one. So can you know, the emotions, it's like the desire, the desire is what compels us and getting clear in that desire. Can we know that the desire and the yearning is the indication that we're holding space for what appears to not be there, but already is there. And there's a lot of layers to that. But I was reflecting on that the other day, you know, as how in certain relationships we we have a yearning for something. And it maybe is there, but not in a form we're used to seeing. Or maybe that person isn't meant to fulfill that aspect. Of course, we all have this this fairy tale understanding that someone's going to come, they're going to kiss us, they're going to wake us up from sleep, the shoe is going to fit. Um, you know, it's going to be this perfect fairy tale romance and ending. But nobody does that for us. No single person. This is where all of creation and the creator and the creatrix can fill that void within us. And that void that is filled comes from a place of missingness. So can we embrace that desire and see that it's, it's the fire that puts us into the Kriya of action, which is, okay, is this coming from my receptacles of sorrow? Or is this coming from my capacity to peel back the veils and feel my wholeness, which, oh gosh, in the last chapter of the sutra, um, Patanjali says for someone who isn't getting hooked on experiences, it's um, 
nimittäin prajojakam prakrit ja purat. Nimitam means that there's omens, there's indications. It's not the actual thing, but we can get a sense. And prakrit ja purat, that there's a filling in process, right? We 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 come into the wholeness, we come into the fullness and the ripeness. And then maybe when we're really ripe, we want to hang on to that moment. And that's when we start to go to seed again. So living with a sense of missingness, not from a place of apathy, not from a place of reaction, but realizing that this is the raw juice that gets you to embrace your creative potential and to expand your imagination, your, your sense of vision, to see beyond the obvious. This is the human condition. Fulfillment is living with a sense of missingness that you know is constantly being filled in. Wow. Yes, that's great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Shanae. Yeah, until next time. Ahui ho. Thank you for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. For more information about Bhavani Maki and her online and in-person teachings, including the Yoga Sutra Wisdom School, online Patanjali Yoga Sutra Mentorship, and her continuing classes and trainings, please visit www.bhavanimaki.com. That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening. Jaladara